0: Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Online. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Today, we are continuing our new series on the book of Revelation. And uh, just so you know, we're not covering the entire book, just the first three chapters, because the first three chapters are the most helpful in setting up what's going on in the rest of the book. In other words, if you read Revelation and you're somewhere in the middle, stuck in the middle of all the symbols and fantastical bits, Uh, it's supremely helpful to remember what kind of foundation is laid in these first three chapters. It'll keep you grounded. So the first three chapters contain the introduction, which we covered last time, which I recommend you watch, uh, followed by seven letters from Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor. So again, I want you to let that sink in that these letters are from Jesus himself to these churches, and therefore also to us, which is pretty amazing. So we're examining these letters from Jesus in this book called Revelation so that our mission to reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time, can be shaped and refined and honed. And we study these letters and other letters in the New Testament because they are a deep well for our growth in becoming like Jesus. And so we can become more and more the people of God, the church that God wants us to be. So I think there's some powerful lessons here. So let's begin. First, a short recap of some of the background we covered last time. Uh, John is the author, and he's writing this letter because he's received a vision, and the voice that he hears tells him to write down this message to these particular churches. In Revelation 1, verses 9 through 11, we learn that this letter is supposed to be encouraging. It's supposed to be an encouragement. Why? Because things are bad. They are suffering through persecution, and it's likely that some of these Christians are about to give up. Some of their uh, Christian friends and family have been killed or imprisoned for their faith. And this is why John, in the beginning of the letter, calls himself a brother who is suffering in patient endurance in Jesus. I want you to remember that he's been exiled and he's under house arrest on on the island of Patmos. And Domitian is the emperor of the Roman Empire, which has made Christianity illegal. So, Domitian was all about having all of the traditional Roman gods be worshiped. Uh, There was no such thing as what we would call religious tolerance, religious freedom, simply did not exist. And so Domitian also encouraged everyone to worship him as an emperor, as if he were God. And his specific title was Lord our God. So if you're a Christian and you say Jesus is Lord and God, that could get you in a lot of trouble. You are under unbelievable pressure to acquiesce, to cave in to the status quo. So John is transcribing the words of encouragement from Jesus himself to these Christians living in this context, so that they will have hope. Last time we encapsulated that the theme of Revelation is this, Jesus wants his church to have hope and be filled with holiness in the midst of these hardships that they are enduring. And so the letter is geared toward revealing how powerful Jesus is and how much he is actually with his people so that they'll be able to live holy lives in the midst of all this persecution and hardship that they are enduring. We also talked last week about all the descriptions Jesus is given um, in Revelation 1 12 through 16 Jesus is standing among these lampstands and he's holding seven stars in his right hand and there's a sword coming out of his mouth and we talked about how this book is filled with symbols like this that have deeper meanings and the reason Revelation is filled with symbols is because it's a particular type of writing called apocalyptic literature other books in the Bible fall into this category as well like uh, parts of Daniel And Ezekiel Zechariah for instance and we covered a lot of this in in the last couple weeks as a church by examining several short videos from the Bible project which you can check out you can check out all those links on on our blog whenever you like Uh, but apocalyptic the word apocalyptic doesn't mean what our modern-day science fiction and comic book minds think it means apocalyptic simply means to reveal or a revealing or a revelation it just means There's a deeper reality that needs to be revealed, a more full reality than the physical reality of the world we can see and touch around us. There is more. There's a spiritual reality that we don't normally see. So apocalyptic literature literature uses symbols and images and metaphors to reveal that spiritual reality to us so that we can have hope. So for example, take a look at this coin. I want you to remember what I said before that Domitian was the emperor at the time of the writing of Revelation. And he was the one who was persecuting Christians. And on one side of this coin, you can see his image. And the other side has a depiction of uh, Domitian's infant son. Uh, so he was called Lord and God. His son would have been called the Son of God. So Domitian was called Lord and God. And uh, if you look closely, you can see that the son of Domitian is holding something. He's holding up seven stars. So this image is on the money that every single person is using in the Roman Empire. So John has this vision, the revelation, of how things really are, how they truly are in this vision. There is a real son of God, the one true God, Jesus. He shows up. And what's he holding in his hands in this vision? These seven stars. So this vision Jesus gives John is a picture of the actual true reality on a deeper level. Jesus is the one who holds the stars so that believers can have hope. Now we covered this last week regarding some of the other symbols that John explains just outright to us. Like we're told that the lampstands in chapter 1 represent the seven churches John is writing to. They're meant to be shining God's love through the darkness that's in the world. And then there are the stars that symbolize what are referred to as the seven angels. And in this case, these angels aren't spiritual warriors or messengers, but angels refers to the human leaders of these seven churches. So Jesus addresses these letters to the ancient leaders of these seven churches because the leaders of these churches are supposed to be the primary messengers who will deliver this revelation to the other Christians in these churches to encourage them with the hope that Jesus offers. So in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1, we see how John falls to his knees because this vision uh, that he's having of Jesus in this way is just astounding to him. And Then we see Jesus give him some titles, give himself some titles in verses 17 and 18. Jesus calls himself the first and the last, the living one. And he talks about how he was dead and now he's alive and how he holds ultimate power over death and the grave. These are important images of Jesus that I want you to hold on to because we're gonna jump ahead now to the second letter Jesus addresses to the church at Smyrna. Revelation 2, eight through 11 says this. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. What's important to notice here that Jesus uses the same titles for himself here that he used earlier in the vision in chapter one. He's the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again. And to understand why these titles are important, we need to talk about the ancient city of Smyrna for just a second. Smyrna was this large, wealthy, influential city on the coast of Asia Minor. Uh, Not as large as Ephesus, but Smyrna had multiple temples set up to multiple Roman gods, and they had one temple there to the emperor himself. In fact, emperor worship started right here in the city of Smyrna. And one reason Smyrna was so wealthy was because they exported myrrh, uh, which was a very expensive spice. The most common thing myrrh was used for was preparing dead bodies for burial. So Smyrna became wealthy by exporting a spice that was related to death and burial. But even though the city of Smyrna was very wealthy, Christians who lived there, were oftentimes poor and oppressed because they refused to worship the emperor. So when they did that, they would have their businesses seized or they would get thrown into prison for a time. Smyrna was also a very beautiful city in terms of its layout and its architecture. It was called the glory of Asia. People would compare the city to a crown. It was built around this mountain called Mount Pegas. And people would say, look how Smyrna circles Mount Pegas like a crown last but not least, there was also a population of Jews living in Smyrna who were extremely antagonistic and hostile towards the Christians living there, like on a whole different level than you see anywhere else in the Bible, in fact. So what's really sad is that since both the Christians and the Jews were persecuted groups, persecuted peoples by the Romans, they could have been a great encouragement to one another, but they end up choosing a different path. The Jews end up persecuting the Christians. So now you have this little snapshot of what it was like to be a Christian in Smyrna at that time. So if you go back to the letter to the church at Smyrna in chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 in Revelation, first we see that this letter to this church begins by talking about death. And it's important to remember that the main export of Smyrna was myrrh, which was related to death and burial. And Jesus reminds these Christians that he's the one who has conquered death. He's reminding Them And encouraging them that they don't need to fear death, that they can be victorious over death. Jesus says, I know about your afflictions. I know about your poverty. He knows they're on the brink of giving up. They're struggling. They want to throw in the towel or whatever. They've got persecuting Romans on one side and hostile Jews on the other, and they are poor in a city that's known for its wealth. So Jesus knows all this. Because he's the one who stands among the lampstands in the vision. He's the one who's near to the churches. Not just these seven, but all the churches of the world. He cares for churches. He knows and feels the afflictions of his people everywhere. And he encourages them by telling them, you are rich. That's the spiritual and deeper reality. They are rich in Jesus, despite their suffering and their poverty. And I can tell you from experience Uh, that I've I've worshipped with believers in Mexico and in Ethiopia and in Poland, and I've seen believers who are afflicted with suffering and poverty, real suffering, real poverty, living in extreme poverty with nothing. And let me tell you something, they are rich with the joy and the hope and the peace and the love that they have in Jesus. It's very real. And this is a powerful reminder that this physical, material reality that we are encountering is not the only reality there is. The spiritual reality is believers are rich in Jesus Christ despite their circumstances. Jesus says this to the believers and then he specifically calls out the Jews who are persecuting them. He says, you're not true Jews, you're actually a synagogue of Satan. And then Jesus says the devil is going to put some of you in prison and test you. Uh, Essentially, he tells them your persecutions are going to increase and that they need to focus on the true reality of the situation, that if they persevere, they will receive the crown of victory. Jesus makes them a promise, he makes them a promise that even if they die, they will receive this crown. The text says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now remember, these Christians are living in a city that's been compared to a crown, and they're being promised that one day they will receive a crown of life, Uh, The spiritual reality is believers are rich in Jesus Christ despite their circumstances. And another spiritual reality is believers are promised victory in Jesus Christ despite their circumstances. So it's so amazing how Jesus takes all these symbols and all of their contextual realities that these believers are surrounded by and he uses them to encourage them and talk about this deeper spiritual reality. Isn't it amazing how he takes these symbols and he he just flips them. He turns them upside down. He turns them on their head to encourage these believers. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to look at this letter to Smyrna from Jesus and ask, what is Jesus saying to us today? The spiritual reality is believers are rich in Jesus Christ despite their circumstances. And believers are promised victory in Jesus Christ despite their circumstances. So we know what Jesus is saying to us the next question is, what are we going to do about it? And our response should be specific. And the first specific thing we can do is pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living under real oppression, real hostile persecution in the world. Because there are places in this world right now where believers are persecuted and oppressed the same way they were in Smyrna 2,000 years ago. And you can get a real good taste of that online. You can go to like check out Voice of the Martyrs or Open Door. You can watch videos and read testimonies, and it'll really open your eyes to this reality that is ongoing right now. You can check out the World Watch List from Open Doors, see the top 50 places in the world where it's the most difficult to be a Christian, and then you can pray specifically, and you can get involved through their websites. And the question is, are we praying for the persecuted church? Are we praying that they would be strengthened and encouraged to live lives of hope in the midst of hardship? And if not, why not? Because we can simultaneously pray for the persecuted church worldwide while we at the same time have religious liberty in this nation. That's a good thing to bring up because religious liberty is not a God-given right. It's a wonderful thing to have and enjoy, but we should celebrate the fact that we have it. But religious liberty is never promised to us in the scriptures. Jesus never guaranteed religious liberty. In fact, if Jesus guaranteed anything about this, it's that we as Christians would be persecuted for our faith. You can look at John 15, 18 through 20, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, that's Jesus talking, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. So, we need to pray that our brothers and sisters who are facing this persecution, that God would strengthen them. Paul follows up Jesus's words in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Let the Lord but the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what Paul says. In other words, being persecuted comes with the territory of being a Christian. So let's put it like this. Religious liberty is not necessary for the good news of Jesus to be preached. In fact, it is in these hard places oftentimes where the good news of Jesus shines out even more brightly than in those places that have religious liberty. So if you follow the logic to down the line, you know, to its conclusion, if religious liberty is not necessary for the good news of Jesus to be preached, and we know the good news of Jesus can still shine out brightly in hard and difficult and dark places, then how much more should we be bold in sharing the love of God in a place where we are free to share it? Amen? And so are we? Are we with our words and actions sharing about the love of Jesus freely? because those are two specific things we can do. Pray for the persecuted Christians and share the love of Jesus freely. And here's one more. We can live free of fear. We can live with fearless faith. Jesus helps us to live with fearless faith. We don't need to fear death because we know the one who conquered death. We don't fear the second death, John says, which means eternal separation from God after death because Jesus made a way for us to be with God. And I'll say this, these promises of Jesus, that even in death we will receive a crown of victory, these promises are for believers. So if you're a believer, you can live, and you can live fearlessly. But if you're not yet a believer, you need to know that there is a way that you can live without fear. There's a way you can live fearlessly. And that is to put your trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. And if you haven't done that, today is the day for you to do that, if you haven't done that before. We would love to talk to you about that more. Um, got plenty of people here who would love to do that. Our family life, Pastor Beth, our elder, Darius, John. We had baptism Sunday a month ago. We'll have another one soon. You can get baptized. When you do that, you demonstrate you've made a decision to trust Jesus with your life, and you want to live fearlessly. We can learn a lesson about perseverance from this church in Smyrna, because this is about seeing things for how they really are, that we as believers are rich in Jesus and are promised victory in Jesus, and this doesn't change with our circumstances. We're reminded that Christians can face real hardship, and we're also reminded that we can have fearless faith. In this letter, we're called to walk faithfully, and if we are faithful, we will be victorious. I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.